How good is a guarantee? They say, I guarantee it. And I just wonder, what good is that? And sometimes guarantees work, and sometimes guarantees are, as we say, not worth the paper they're printed on. Well, here in this text, we have a guarantee. What makes a guarantee worth making? Well, there's only one thing, and that is the reliability of the person who makes it. I mean, there's plenty of liars and con artists out there selling stuff and guaranteeing it all day long. What makes a guarantee good? The reliability of the person who makes it. And so here we have a guarantee that's made by who? That's the most important question when you're talking about a guarantee. By who? So what, what have we learned so far? Well, we've learned that Jesus is our forerunner behind the veil in this priesthood. And he's our forerunner. He proceeded by faith behind the veil in bringing his sacrifice. We're going to learn a lot more about this bringing of his sacrifice to the heavenly temple. And he's our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, who's Melchizedek? Well, Melchizedek was priest of God Most High who Abraham met when he was coming back from war one day. And he gave, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And then Melchizedek pretty much disappears from the from the text of Scripture, until David mentions him in a messianic psalm in which Messiah is said to be a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, the order of the priest that served Abraham, the father of all people of faith in the true and living God. And so Jesus is represented here as higher than the regular priests that Jewish people, the original receivers of this text of the Bible, the, the, Jesus is a higher priesthood than the priesthood they were used to according to the law of Moses, the sons of Levi who were priests in the, under the Mosaic covenant of Israel. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is arguing that the priesthood of Christ is far superior to that priesthood. And in fact, it's the priesthood of Christ that makes that priesthood even possible or meaningful in any respect. You could have the priests of Levi serving for thousands of years, making their sacrifices in the temple day after day after day after day, after day, after day, year after year, thousands and thousands of sacrifices in the temple, if Jesus never shows up, those sacrifices are meaningless. Well, Jesus Melchizedek priesthood, where we read in the first part of chapter 7, accomplishes the thing that that priesthood was not designed to accomplish. 
it accomplishes what Levitical priests did not. And that is, it restores fallen, sinful people to wholeness, to humanity in full. It actually recovers us from death, the consequence of sin, which means the rejection of God, which means the spirit of sin is the spirit of independence from God. And so uh, Jesus accomplishes our restoration in his Melchizedekian priesthood, our restoration to whole humanity. You might not have felt this way, but apart from Christ, you are not whole. You're a broken humanity. Well, how does he do this? He restores us to wholeness by restoring us to fellowship with God, which is another word for life. God, God, and God alone possesses life in himself, Jesus said. All other life <laughs> comes from that. So when Adam declared his divorce from God, he died. And so did we. Jesus puts us back into fellowship with the living God and so brings us back to life, to whole humanity. He, he brings us back to wholeness by restoring fellowship with God. How does he make us able to fellowship with God? Because you know, if we're sinful, coming into contact with God is deadly. Isaiah this is the best example of this. In Isaiah chapter 6, he finds himself in the presence of God and he just says, get me out of here. I can't be here. I, I can't be here. I'm a sinful person. I live in the, in the nation of sinful people. Get me out of here. No one can stand before the holy God and live. So how does Jesus restore us to Real, active fellowship with the living God by actually justifying us. Actually justifying us. In fact, because of the sacrifice of Christ, God gives us credit for Jesus' own human righteousness. And so, when God sees me, he sees me in the clothing of the righteousness of Jesus himself. And so, <laughs> we have some, uh, some Christian goats. <laughs> if you stay here long enough, you know, there's lots of critters that attend church. 
We often have birds singing along with us. So God, Jesus accomplishes this amazing feat of restoring me to life, to wholeness, by restoring my fellowship with God, which he does by actually justifying me before God, so that when God sees me, he no longer sees me as the sinner that I am, but as the righteous man that Jesus is. I don't have any righteousness of my own, Paul wrote. I have the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus accomplishes this justification of sinners through satisfying the wrath of God towards sinners by dying on the cross. That's how he does it. So when Jesus gives his own life a sacrifice for sin, that satisfies the wrath of God that should have been directed at me. And so when I come before God, there's, I don't have the same need of dread that Isaiah had. I can stand there, I can come before God, I can address God as Abba, Father. That is the Melchizedekian priesthood of Jesus. And from there, we move into the text of today. He concluded last time, he said, the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. A better hope. They had a kind of a meager hope in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And it was a sort of uh, hold off on judgment for one more day, Lord. See these sacrifices, hold off on judgment for one more day till Messiah comes. And we have the hope of all hopes, the hope that cannot disappoint, our hope in Christ that leads us behind the veil where he went with his own life, a sacrifice for our sake. And so we have a better hope introduced in Christ. And then he says, and that was not without an oath. That hope was not without an oath. And we already looked at the fact that God swore to this. (laughs) What a curious thing that is that God swore to something. God takes an oath, and he took an oath to by himself. In other words, we take oaths by God, so help me God. Imagine God. I swear to this, so help me me. There's nothing, above, there's nothing God can swear to above God. So the scripture says he swore by himself. He swore this promise to Abraham, and the Lord Jesus is the Melchizedekian priest. That is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. You know, sometimes I'm looking at promises God made, and I 
try to claim a bunch of promises for myself, you know, because I'm 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 in need of comfort or satisfaction or peace of mind or lots of things I think I need that maybe God might promise me. And I think God can always say whenever I come to him and say, hey, you promised me, he says, yeah, and I gave it to you in him. All the promises of God are satisfied by the person of Jesus Christ. Every last one of them. It's a personal guarantee. Well, he says, this was an oath for those old kind of priests. They became priests without any oath. They just became priests because they were born the right way, in the right family. So they became priests according to the law. This one was made a priest without, with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. That makes Jesus the guarantor or perhaps the guarantee of a better covenant. Jesus' priesthood mediates a better covenant established by God's oath. There's no oath in the case of Levites. It's a guarantee. I want to ask you a question. What makes you sure you're saved? What makes you sure? Maybe you're not sure. Can a person be sure? You know, we look to all kinds of things to try to notice whether anyone is genuine in faith or genuinely saved. Typically, I look to my own estimate of my own righteousness, or if I'm judging your salvation, I look to my own estimate of your righteousness, and typically I wonder if you're genuinely saved when I see some lack of righteousness in your life, behavior, thoughts, whatever. And I start to wonder, well, a Christian wouldn't act like that. Maybe you're not one. Well, here's something. Your righteous behavior is not the guarantee. Your judgment of righteousness has nothing to do with the guarantee of our salvation. Not one thing other than the word of God himself assures you of any salvation. If you exhibit a life that isn't very Christian, then maybe you should wonder. Because the Bible does say that people who trust in Christ, it changes how they live. Yeah, so if you if you don't, not seeing the change right now, maybe you should wonder, but what will you do when you wonder other than rely on the word of God, the Lord Jesus himself, who said, if anyone comes to me, I never turn anyone away. So what are you going to do when you're wondering about whether you're genuinely saved 
I suggest you go to him. I suggest you rely on what he has done, not on anything you might see in your own self, your own life. You're a work in progress, and you have a long way to go. So on any given day, based on your mood, you know, I know Christians who always think they are really good Christians just because they're that kind of people. They're all happy and everything all the time. It's kind of annoying. And I know Christians like me who always get all wrapped up in our underwear over some thing or other. And I know the Lord Jesus who is trying to open me up to God and to you because of what he has accomplished on the cross. Thank God. His priesthood mediates a better covenant. Well, there's more to it than that. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues permanently. (laughs) Here's the thing. The former priest, were many in number. Why were there so many of them? Because they kept on dying. That's what this says. They were prevented by death from continuing in office. (laughs) So we needed some more to be born all the time. We kept needing more of these guys. None of them would go on forever. They kept dying. Well, Jesus... Solve that problem. He continues forever. He did die. But his death did not prevent him from continuing and serving because he didn't stay dead. He rose. And so he continues. This is a present tense verb. He continues to this day forever. Wow, so this has a consequence. It says right here, consequently. That's the word. The consequence of his continuing in his priesthood to this day, this is the consequence. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. That word for uttermost means completely and eternally. He is able to save because he's still there. Completely and eternally save those who draw near to God through him. I suggest you go with Jesus before the throne of grace and you will be saved to the uttermost. Completely and eternally. There won't be anything about you that is not saved in the end. Today, there's still some unsaved bits. You know, we're in the already not yet land where we're still dealing with the flesh and yet we have a hope 
of resurrection in the future in which even our propensity to, be, to sin will be removed from us. Sin will no longer even appeal to me. There's nothing better that could happen to me than that. Well, he's saying completely in the end and eternally. That means it, it can't be lost. And how does he do that? Well, it's right here. Since he always lives. He's not like those priests who died. He continues. And he always lives for what purpose? To make intercession for them. If you draw near to God in Christ, Christ intercedes for you. Have you ever run across somebody who was not where they belonged? Maybe you're in some kind of fancy restaurant or something, and some undesirable person, you can fill in that blank, maybe homeless beggar type of guy, comes into the fancy restaurant, and everyone's like, What's that smell? Well, that's you at the throne of grace. And whenever you show up there, Jesus stands up and says, He's with me. okay. He ever lives to make intercession. That salvation that he gives, that complete and eternal salvation that he provides, it's ongoing and it depends on his persistent intercession. Since you got up this morning, you've gotten things wrong. You've done one or two things <laughs> since you got up this morning for which someone could be condemned to eternal hell. And Jesus ever lives to make intercession. He says, that I died. Here's the sacrifice. He's with me. She's with me. It's okay. And so when I come before the throne of God, it's no longer the throne of judgment. It's the throne of mercy, the throne of grace, the throne at which I find help in time of need. It is utterly turned right side up again. And now I can be a child of God in the throne room of God. I don't even have to get things right. I can just go there and things are right. We continue to need Jesus in order to stand in God's presence, to know God's throne as a throne of grace, of mercy, of help. We continue to need it, and Jesus continues to provide it. He ever lives to make intercession for them. You know, the other thing we find out here about Jesus' priesthood, this guarantee says here, I'm up to verse 
verse numbers I can't read, 26, I think, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins. You know, before they could make a sacrifice for anyone else, they had to make a sacrifice for their own sins. But this priest, the Lord Jesus, is holy, unstained, innocent, separated from sin, exalted above the heavens. Now this phrase that's kind of tricky here, it says separated from sinners. And you think, well, except he wasn't separated from sinners. He brings us, and we're sinners. What does it mean? Well, it means he's not in the category sinner. That's what it means. We're in the category of sinners. He is not. He's separate from that category. Because he, although tempted in every way like us, was not a sinner. We can't even really imagine what a human being that never sinned might be. Except it's him. Well, so this person, the Lord Jesus, needed no sacrifice for himself. That's exactly the kind of priest we need. A priest that actually has his own standing before the throne of God and brings his, himself as a sacrifice. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He's not only the priest, he's also the sacrifice that the priest brings before God. The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. And that's the same word for weakness that we read about the, the uh, old covenant priesthood that, that doesn't accomplish the thing that needs to be done because it was weak and ineffective. It just wasn't designed to do what this priesthood is designed to do. And so their, their weakness, the law appointed men, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus' sacrifice is once for all. Once. He did this once for all. You know, the the scripture, the Old Testament scripture says that the blood of bulls and goats isn't really satisfying to God. The sacrifice of the eternal Son of God in the man Jesus is absolutely 100% satisfactory. And so he only has to make one sacrifice. It's the sacrifice to end all sacrifice. The sacrifice of the new covenant is me presenting my body a living sacrifice. Uh, a living sacrifice. 
That's not normal. Most sacrifices are not living. He died, I live. And my life is a sacrifice only in this sense that I give it to him. And it's better if he has it anyway. It's a recognition of goodness. It's not a burden. It's not a, hey, you better give your life a living sacrifice. Or, no. It's, the, if you had half a brain, it's what you'd be running to do anyway. And so we respond in worship by trusting ourselves to the one who gave himself for us. And so we are restored. We, we are brought back in to the family room of God. God Almighty calls you his child. And you can call him your Abba, Father. Once and for all. Once and for all. The law appointed the priests who are weak. The oath appointed a son. Well, and then we have this curious expression, who has been made perfect. He has been made perfect. Wasn't he already perfect? What does that mean? He was made perfect. You remember? Because we've gone over this in the book of Hebrews. It's back in chapter 2. Maybe we should look it up. It's chapter 2, verse 10. Just a couple pages back. For it was fitting, Hebrews 2, 10. Oh, that's curious. It's fitting again. It's appropriate. It makes sense. It's right for the situation. It was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, God, would in bringing many sons to glory, bringing many children back into the throne room, should make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. Perfected. He was made perfect forever. Now, there's something to figure out here, it seems to me. Like, we've got the eternal Son of God. He's always been perfect. He's God. But, Chapter 2 goes on to talk about God made flesh the man. He says it was fitting that God, he had to become one of us. He had to become a man. He's as much a man as I am. Well, in fact, he's more human than I am because he's not a broken one. And so he's a human being, and it is that human being that is perfected through suffering all the way, all the way. There's nothing that you could possibly suffer that he can't relate to. He suffered unjustly to the point of dying on a Roman cross. 
And so he was perfect, he is perfect, in his understanding of your situation. He's perfect in his satisfaction of God's situation. He's the perfect priest. Oh, it's so fitting that we have this kind of priest. A man righteous in his own right, actually, who gives his own life a sacrifice for sin, and in doing so satisfies God on behalf of all who will come to God in him. Wow. Wow. So this is a better covenant than the other one. (laughs) It's so much better. It's so much better. And, you know, as we've mentioned, the writer of the book of Hebrews is is trying to convince a bunch of Jewish Christians not to quit on Jesus because trouble might be coming and just go back to being in the synagogue and, you know, the Jewish assembly, which doesn't have Jesus. And he's like, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have this. You can't. That's crazy talk. And I would say to you, I believe most of you here have Jesus. I wish you would just stop every now and then. That is. We say this from time to time here. How do you know the goodness of God? How do you know the goodness of God when maternity wards are being bombed? By wicked men. How can you stand in front of anyone and say what we all say all the time? God is good all the time. God is good all the time. There is only one satisfactory answer to the question. The Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself a a satisfying sacrifice for sin and so restores humanity to humanity. And the good grace of God in Christ is the only argument for the goodness of God that wins. And that will win in the end. And so we celebrate God's goodness. I think, I cannot have any more blessing than what I have already in Christ. I can experience it more. I can live from it more. I can appreciate it more but I can't get any more. But here's what I need to do. Stop and get it. Here's why we have to go to church every Sunday, because we got it. We get out there in the world and we're like, we get all distracted by all kinds of crazy stuff. Someone I know here today, their car broke down this week. Ah, That is the most frustrating thing when you go in your car and it just doesn't work. And you think, oh, but Jesus, but Jesus, you can't possibly 
have it any better. And if you're a child of God and your car breaks down, God's up to something. God's up to something. And in the end, you're going to go, wow, I'm sure I'm glad my car broke down. The, there's a question at the end here on your notes that says, are you saved to the uttermost? Are you saved to the uttermost? And I will tell you this. If you're saved, you are saved to the uttermost. There's no other way to be saved. And the Lord Jesus is able to save you. You're not, but He is. And His sacrifice, His priesthood, the order of Melchizedek priesthood, gets the job done. Praise God. Father, thank You for this love that You've shown to us in Christ. Lord, help us to live in it. We pray for the ministry of the Spirit in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in the fellowship of the church, to keep us mindful of these things at all times, so that we might live with boldness, expressing this love that you've shown to us, to each other and to the world around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.